since I've uh, had kids, I've started to get really interested in like looking at other families and seeing like, oh, what are the like family resemblances? Like who's got what from each parent? And also like characteristics when you start to have kids or maybe you can look at your own parents and like it's quite scary because you can see some things that have like filtered down and you do them and your parents do them and you're like oh no I never thought I'd be that person <laughs> and then it keeps going guys because it goes down into your kids and they start doing stuff that you don't like about yourself um, in my family <laughs> and good things too in my family <laughs> growing up uh, my mum and my dad are like complete opposite personalities so my me and my siblings kind of fall into two categories so my mum is very very laid back Time is a bit of a sort of relative concept to her, and she's not much of a worrier, whereas my dad is, like, super efficient. Like, he has a spreadsheet for everything. He's got a spreadsheet for a roast dinner, guys. Like, every step, timings, everything. And for him, being on time is being 20 minutes early, so they make for an interesting match. And uh, as me and my brother and my sister... We've kind of split off into different teams. So I am very much like my mum, and I'm very laid back. And, um, and I'm not much of a worrier. And Alex will tell you, if you ever ask, ask him, that my timing, I'm working on it, shall we say. It's not a gift that I was born with. And there's this one conversation that I had with my dad when I was a teenager that's kind of gone down in history. And, um, I mean, I'm calling it a conversation but we can call it more of a spirited discussion. And I can't exactly remember the details of it, but I imagine it was something to do with either I had an essay that was due in that perhaps I had forgotten about, or there was a, an exam that I should be studying, which again, maybe had slipped my mind, but um, you know, just a minor thing. Um, and I said to my dad, you worry too much. And he said to me, you don't worry enough. <laughs> and I feel like as people, I think we fall into like, one or another of those categories, right? Some of us worry about lots of things. Some of us don't worry about enough things, and I'm definitely the later one. But, uh, and the opposite of worrying is peace, right? But can we really go through our lives in like a perpetual state of peace? And is that even really what God expects of us? And what does Jesus say about peace? So in Colossians 3, 15 to 17, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. The Bible actually has an awful lot to say about peace. The word peace, obviously, in different languages, is mentioned 93 times in the New Testament. The word fear is spoken over 500 times in the Bible, and fear not, approximately 365 times, one for every day. Clearly, fear and worry are things that we are all going to come up against. But the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind, depending on your translation. God didn't create us with a spirit of fear, but so often we're consumed by fear and worry. We've all been living through unprecedented times over the last few years, and that is reflected in mental health data that is being collected at the moment. The number of people experiencing mental health issues in England is at an all-time high at the moment, 
In 2022, mental health referrals reached a record 4.6 million, which it, for context is up 22% from 2019. Approximately one in four people experience a mental health problem every year. One in six people report experiencing anxiety and depression in any given week. And the prevalence of modern, modern? Moderate, <laughs> not modern, <laughs> moderate or severe depressive symptoms among adults in Great Britain rose during the pandemic. So before the pandemic, it was 10%. And then during the pandemic, it rose to as high as 21%. So more than double. And these stats, they don't just refer to people outside of church. That will be represented here too today. This isn't just something that other people are facing, or even now that a small minority of people are facing. This is now a crisis that we're all fairly likely to face at some point. You might be struggling with some of these things right now. But Colossians tells us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. We're called to not to fear, but to peace. And peace is the antidote to fear, isn't it? But sometimes we have a bit of a habit of reducing peace to like a brief moment of time where we say, oh, just take a breath and oh, I feel so much better now. But God's peace is so much more than that. I love to cook. And uh, part of the reason that I find it so relaxing for anyone who's been to our house is that our kitchen is sort of here. And my children like to hang out here in the living room. So it's a lovely, like, tranquil place in the kitchen, unless they come in. Uh, and <laughs> I like to go into my sanctuary for a bit of peace and quiet. But peace is so much more than just a moment of stillness. We can feel the true peace of God's presence in our very bones, no matter what situation we're facing. We have God's peace in us and with us wherever we go and whatever we're facing. Peace isn't actually always a quiet or a still place in the kingdom of God. Sometimes it looks like facing the storm that we're in with the knowledge that you're in the presence of God who can bring you safely through any situation. And that doesn't mean, unfortunately, that sometimes you're not going to get a bit wet in the storm. When Jesus calms the storm in Matthew 8, it says that a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat the disciples were understandably a bit scared. <laughs> they were facing a literal, huge and terrifying storm in front of them. But Jesus hadn't promised them a life without trouble. In fact, he promised the exact opposite. He told the disciples in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So often when we're caught up in anxiety or fear or we're facing something that just seems insurmountable, we try and get through it in our own strength, don't we? Rather than crying out to the one who's already overcome everything that the world can throw at us. Jesus doesn't promise us peace, but he does promise us peace in him. So what happens when Je uh, Jesus is faced with the storm? What I noticed when I was prepping this that I've never noticed before is he rebukes the disciples first and then he rebukes the wind and the waves and there is peace. He says to them, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And I always used to imagine that he rebukes them out of anger. Like Jesus is just so enraged with the disciples. They're 
always getting it wrong, aren't they? They never have enough faith. They never trust in him enough. But now, with the wisdom of a bit of age and some time to like reflect on this passage, I kind of see it as a loving rebuke rather than an angry one. We've got three kids, and our middle one, Rowan, she's quite a sensitive soul. She's a big feeler, uh, which is lovely because she's very kind and empathetic, and she's very you know, loving towards other people. But it is a bit of a challenge when you're trying to get her ready for bed at night, and she wants to discuss at great length all of the things that I have said that have wounded her in the day, <laughs> all, all the things that she has said that she thinks might have wounded someone else. And she likes to discuss every single detail. We're talking like... It could be an hour, guys. Um, I saw this funny video the other day, and I wanted to show you guys. <laughs> oh, didn't see that bit before. <laughs> At least it was bleeped out. <laughs> so I saw this video, and I immediately sent it to my sister, who also has small children, and I said, I felt this in my soul. <laughs> I feel like this very much sums up my parenting experience. In the morning, I'm very patient, and I listen, and I discuss things with my children. And then in the evening, when, I'm, when my reserves are a bit depleted, if I'm a bit hangry, or I need a cup of tea, I'm a little more like that later clip. <laughs> but Rowan because she is such a feeler. She always has what I feel is a slightly disproportionate reaction to if I have lost my temper, uh, or if she's done something as well that really lives on with her. And what we always do afterwards, many, many minutes down the line, when she's calmed down, we always have a little cuddle. And we try and chat through like what has happened. And she started to do this like heartbreaking thing where she says, I thought you didn't love me anymore. <laughs> and it like, oh my gosh, gets you right there. And I always say to her, there is nothing that you can do that will make me stop loving you. Sometimes I do get cross. Sometimes I lose my temper. But I will always love you. And in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm rebuking her, right? I'm rebuking her reaction to the situation. And I'm rebuking her belief about me that I don't love her anymore. But I'm doing it all from a place of love, not anger. And I like to think that that's what Jesus does when he rebukes the disciples in the boat. It comes from a place of correction because of love, not anger. Because it is natural to feel fear when we're in danger or hopelessness when we're in a dark place. But Jesus doesn't reject us when we feel this way. He meets us where we are and he lovingly corrects us. So what do we do when we feel like we are facing a storm and Jesus is asleep. In Matthew 8, the water's coming into the boat. And it seemed to the disciples that Jesus, their teacher, their protector, was asleep. How often in life does it feel like we are facing something terrifying, something that is too big for us, and that God is quiet when we're calling out to him? I love the Psalms because they are such an amazing reminder to us as Christians that it is okay to be honest with God, to call out to him, to express your feelings when you're scared or you're angry or you're filled with joy or you're rejoicing or even when you feel like he's not listening. Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. 
by night, but I find no rest. 2021 and 2022 were two of the hardest years that I have faced in my life so far, and hopefully at all. <laughs> I was faced with death, both globally and in my personal life as well, illness, hurt, fear, anxiety, and doubt. And a funny little thing struck me last week when I was thinking about this, that in 2021, I turned 33, which is the year in Jesus's life that he had his hardest year. Because do you know what happened to Jesus when he was 33? He faced betrayal and pain and ultimately death on a cross. But God raised him to life again, and God raised me to life again too. God had the power to resurrect Jesus, and he has the power to resurrect us, me and you as well, no matter how hopeless the situation feels. A few months ago, I came along to the evening service, and at the time, I was still in a pretty bad place, and I was feeling lots of anxiety and lots of doubt about God and his love for me and the promises that he'd spoken over me. And we sang a song that night that uh, talks about bones. <laughs> And we sang it again tonight, guys, because God is faithful. And it was such a great reminder to me tonight uh, when I was feeling anxious about this, that like God is still there and he is still reminding us of the promises that he's spoken over us. And that night when I heard that song, it reminded me of where it says dry bones in the Bible, which is in Ezekiel uh, 37, verse 1 to 6. And it says this, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And something that really jumped out to me when I heard that, when I read this, is that it says that the bones were very dry. And I don't know how much you guys know about the human body. Lots of you are studying medicine, so hopefully more than me. Um, but I'm about to get very deep and scientific. The body, inside, quite a wet place. So if you've ever broken, see, very scientific. If you've ever broken a bone and it's come through the skin, there is blood, there is gore, there are things that I don't understand. Bones are not dry things. And it struck me, like, if we were to die, it would take an incredibly long time for our bones to be dry. For bones to be very dry, the bodies that they've come from would have to have been dead for a really, really long time. And the passage goes on to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And this just summed up to me so perfectly how I was feeling at that time. Like I was just dry bones lying in a desert. I felt like I was beyond God's help, that I was beyond his hope. I just felt dry. But the Lord spoke those words to me, and he actually speaks them twice in the passage. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And I think that that speaks as to how God, he didn't just make us and breathe life into us when he first made us, but he goes on over and over and over again, breathing life into us. No matter how dry we feel, no matter how far away from him we feel, and no matter how full of fear we feel like we are, 
God can and he will make his breath enter you and you will come to life if you let him. Even the driest of bones can be made into functioning bodies with blood and tendons and breath when the power of God enters them. God can rebuild you piece by piece until you're alive again. Towards the end of last year, I went to a women's conference and we sang a song, a new song, new to me anyway. Uh, When I feel like ruins, you see foundations to build your kingdom here. We sometimes feel like we're too far gone. We're too filled with fear for God to love us, let alone to use us. But God sees our ruins as the foundations for his kingdom. He sees our bones as the foundation for his life to be breathed into us. And since that day, God has been slowly rebuilding me. And I face setbacks. You might have noticed that we're living in a very fallen, very broken world. And we will keep facing fear and death and brokenness. But we can do it with the breath of God inside us and the presence of God going before us, going behind us and beside us. God isn't scared of our mess. He just wants us to bring it to him so that he can rebuild us. There is not one person in the Bible who hasn't felt fear or doubt or hopelessness. And I hope that encourages you today. (laughs) Even Jesus did. The night before he was crucified, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. On the cross, before he gave up his life, he quoted the psalm that I read earlier, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So many of the people that we see doubting or feeling fear or hopelessness in the Bible are leaders or people that we might think of as heroes of the faith. Even Jesus himself. Fear and doubt and pain don't exclude you from the kingdom of God. They're the building blocks that God can use to build his kingdom in you and through you. The passage from Colossians that we read at the start talks about peace, right? And how we should live as people of peace. Now, in our translation, it says, As members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. But there is no word for and in biblical Greek. This is all just one statement. As people who've been called to peace, we should be thankful. Remembering God's goodness and his kindness helps us to lift our eyes above our current situation. People sometimes say there's like a really simple formula that you can use to remember when you want to pray. And that is TSP. You've probably heard it before. Teaspoon. Thank you, sorry, and please. And we always want to start by thanking God for his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And these can be the things that pull us through when we're coming up against darkness and fear in our lives. There's a really simple thing you can do, which is to keep a prayer journal. It can just be a way of like noting down things that you're praying for, things that you're hoping for. And you can look back on it and see the things that you've prayed for where God has answered your prayers. Maybe ones you don't even remember praying. About five years ago, we were moving house and we found an old prayer journal from when I was about 16. I used to share a room with my sister when I was a teenager, and we went through a a phase where we would pray together every night, and we would write down our prayers and the people that we were praying for, and we would try and listen to God and see what we thought he might be saying to us, and we'd write it down. 
to be honest, I'd completely forgotten that we even did this till we found this uh, till this we found this prayer journal. But when I went back and I had a look through it, there were so many answered prayers in there. And Alex came across one page and it had like different letters of the alphabet on it. And he said to me, what, like, what was it you were praying about? And I said, oh, well, each of those letters represents one of our friends that we were praying for to become Christians. And do you know whose name was on there? Alex. Uh, and I don't think of myself as a great evangelist by any means. It really, it doesn't come naturally to me to talk about uh, Jesus to people who don't know Jesus already. I'm quite a big people pleaser, and I'm always a little bit scared, to be honest, that people will be offended or horrified. Um, and <laughs> so it's not something that is comfortable for me, but there was something about Alex, and we weren't dating then, in case you think that's what it is, um, that I just felt like God had just really put him on my heart, and I just felt like I need to keep inviting this guy to church. So I did, and he kept saying no, <laughs> but, um, but I just kept doing it anyway, because I felt like God had asked me to, so... and. Till we found this journal, I honestly didn't even remember that we'd been praying for him to become a Christian. But God did remember, and he listened, and he was faithful. Alex came to church a few months after that, and he encountered Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and his life has been transformed. It's such a powerful thing to look back on what God has done for us. Even more so when we're filled with fear and anxiety. When we look back on the prayers that we've prayed, when we're full of fear, we can see how God has fulfilled them. And it reminds us that he is faithful and that he stands alongside us in the big stuff and in the small stuff. And it brings his peace into our lives. And it's also so powerful to worship God when we're in the storm. Lifting our eyes to him and above the struggles that we're facing reminds us of God's presence with us. It reminds us that he can always give us his peace. Colossians also says, you should let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So yeah, yeah, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Worship is such a powerful tool that we can use to encourage each other, to teach each other, and spur each other on, and ourselves as well. It allows us to express our gratitude to God when we don't have the right words to say, or sometimes when words don't feel like enough, or maybe even when we can't even think, why am I even grateful right now? Gratitude enables us to lift our eyes from our struggles, to remember that God is powerful, and he's strong, and he's good to us. Whether life is going amazingly at the moment and things are just falling into place for you or whether you feel like you're really up against it right now and life is really tough, you can choose to lift up your eyes and bring it to Jesus. You can choose to give thanks to God in the calm and in the storm. He truly cares about the mess in your life as well as the successes and the joys. He wants to rebuild you when you feel like things are in ruins, when you feel like you're dry bones in a valley of dust. He wants to be with you in the storms of your life. Earlier on, I read the start of Psalm 22, where David is calling out to God, where he feels like he's alone and that God is nowhere to be found. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. But the psalm doesn't end there. It goes on to say, 
yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. When we feel like things are hopeless and we're filled with fear, we can bring those situations to God with honesty. David never shies away from God about talking about his anguish. He doesn't try and pretty it up for God. He just tells it as it is. Life is hard and he's struggling and he doesn't know where God is in it all or if he's even listening. And yet he speaks about God's majesty. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Even in fear and uncertainty, David recognizes that he can put his trust in God, that he can lift his eyes up and that God will answer. We see the same thing when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Even in anguish and in fear, he surrenders his will to God. He lifts his eyes up to heaven and he trusts that his father will answer him. And we can trust that God is listening and that he will answer our prayers. He doesn't want to leave you in a dark place. He never wants you to feel ashamed or rejected. He just wants you to cry out to him so that he can save you. The passage from Colossians ends with the words, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We don't only have to bring our successes, our wins to the feet of Jesus. He wants us to bring it all. Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, he wants us to do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that means even when we're facing darkness and fear and pain, we can do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father. And what is great news is that God doesn't want us to do this alone. It says we're one body, we're one family. And recently, God has really been on my case about one particular verse. He keeps giving it to me over and over again. And it's a passage in Exodus 17. And basically, Moses is watching the Israelites fight a battle. And God has said to him, Moses, hold up your staff. He would do it with both hands, but I'm holding a microphone, so imagine. Hold up your staff. And while he's holding up the staff with both his hands, the Israelites are winning the battle. But as soon as, his, uh, as he puts his hands down, then they start to lose the battle. And obviously, over time, his arms get tired, so they start to fall. And the Israelites start to lose the battle. So do you know what happens? Two of his friends come and they stand on either side of him and they hold his hands up. And together, the battle is won. The enemy wants you to believe that you're alone, that you have to hide your fears, that you have to hide your anxieties and your doubts away, that you have to just keep facing this stuff in isolation. But good news and bad news, we're a family here. The people that are sitting around you are your brothers and your sisters. So let them hold up your hands when you're weary so that we can win the battle together. I want to challenge you today to be bold and ask people, how are you doing? Where are you at? How's your walk with Jesus? How is your life? 
It is scary and it's vulnerable to ask each other these sorts of things and to open up about the things that we're facing. But shining a light on this stuff allows God into the storm. When I started to open up to people about how I was struggling, it just allowed God's light to break into that darkness. And it allowed him to start healing me when I didn't even know if I was ready for that yet. Colossians says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. We're members of one body. We're not individuals who are trying to do this alone. We're called together 